I'm Hannah Trump, and this is Hypocritical, a podcast from Powbox where we discuss security, technology, and compliance news with healthcare industry leaders. reminded that October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month to know that the cyber hygiene of your organization is important. We know that bad actors and data breaches are around every corner in healthcare because personal health information or PHI is so valuable. We also know that if you aren't proactive in finding the vulnerabilities in your InfoSec stack or your attack surface, you could bet that a bad actor will exploit it. But how do these threat actors decide who to attack? Is there criteria that makes your organization more valuable than another? Or is it a one-size-fits-all kind of thing? Has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the way data breaches and ransomware work? Does using a transparent or easy-to-use security technology really make a difference? These are all topics that my guest, Brian Fritton, and I discussed today. Brian is the CEO and founder of Havoc Shield, a Powbox partner and InfoSec company that, as they say, quote, is kind of like the TurboTax of cybersecurity. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me on Hypocritical today. Uh, as we both know, October is Cybersecurity Month, but any organization should really be looking at their cybersecurity stack or any vulnerabilities that they have uh, more often than that. Why do you think that organizations continue to struggle with having such good cybersecurity hygiene? That's a pretty sticky topic, honestly. Uh, I think the, the reality of the security responsibility inside organizations, not the role, but the actual responsibility, especially in smaller organizations that maybe don't have a security uh, team or maybe even one security hire, uh, is that it, it's still seen as a cost center, right? And that mm-hmm. spans across organization size. Um, it's not the revenue accelerator, customer converter, or, or reputation asset that really it is. Uh, and, and that's just not the way that it's seen. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations still I think we're getting better, but that's still a lot of the way a lot of people see it. So since it's seen as that cost center in a lot of places, still it gets obviously pushed to the back in favor of a lot of other priorities. And I think also that security awareness campaigns, you know, the, where a lot of the, the hygiene sits is with, you know, uh, employees, not just necessarily the security team or IT, but everyday other employees, you know, the, the awareness campaigns for those employees are, are too often pushed out, uh, you know, uh, to those employees as must do's, right? As mm-hmm. rather than you know positioning it as a personal resource or benefit, because we all have our own personal risk uh, online, and we uh, all like to learn. All humans like to learn, yes. and uh, I think that companies could get a lot better at positioning this as something that we're doing for you. Like we're offering a four hundred one k, we offer catered lunches sometimes. If you can position security awareness and some of the resources or benefits that you have in your security program for everyday employees, especially now that a lot are remote, Mm -hmm. I think you'll get a lot more people paying attention to that and actually brushing their teeth. Definitely, because as you know, practice makes perfect. So if you're practicing cybersecurity at work, then you'll obviously bring it at home with you. How does your organization approach risk management and employee training when it comes to cybersecurity? We look at where our data lives first. Mm -hmm. We think about where that's going to be stored and on what assets we have. And then we think about the risk of that information being breached, right? So however it gets out, the tactics don't really matter, but what happens if that information gets out? And this is a a pretty well-known process of sort of looking at the data. Uh, But I think um, the the risk management piece uh, that sometimes is missed is then, uh, okay, how do I think about the accidental disclosure of that. And so great, we've got this risk management uh, process that 
that looks at the data, that understands what the tactics attackers might use to try to exfiltrate it. But when it comes to that employee hygiene question, Mm -hmm. how might it be accidentally disclosed Mm -hmm. um, or just systematically exposed? So, you know, email is uh, uh, for better or for worse, right? (laughs) Uh, The keys to the kingdom. And one of those one of those channels at which a lot of employees, even though maybe they shouldn't, uh, share a lot of sensitive information. And so exactly. when you think about the hygiene question, the risk management uh, topic attached to it, I think about that second layer, which is how would they accidentally send uh, PII, mm-hmm. um, personal health information, uh, social security number, company secrets accidentally through email? Um, and what controls do I need to put in place? Especially because human error is so prevalent and it's so, I mean, it's everywhere. I think that we could probably attribute a large number of data breaches specifically to human error. So going off of what you were saying about making sure your employees are knowledgeable and know what they're doing, what do you think is one thing every CISO or compliance officer or whoever is in charge of compliance at an organization should start requiring from their employees today? Uh, Multi-factor authentication on everything, Mm -hmm. everything and anything Uh, at work. And, uh, and personally, again, it's that security as a benefit topic. Um, show people how to enable multi-factor authentication on their Twitter account, yes, uh, on their uh, Google, uh, on their Gmail account. Uh, make it easy for them. Do sit-downs with them. Uh, record little videos. Create a list of all the work accounts and personal accounts that they need to go and do this on. And that's you know uh, going to take a little more time. But again, it's like pivoting that... Uh, that security hygiene more as a uh, benefit than a must do. And obviously mm-hmm. your employees being personally more uh, secure and less susceptible of, uh, of getting breached is going to protect your company as well. Part of that with making sure that your employees know how to enable two-factor authentication or whatever is, is making sure that you have like a list of, hey, here are some guidances and here are some blogs that you can read about all of this. If you don't understand, like at Powbox, we publish everything about cybersecurity. What is two-factor authentication? How do you turn it on for Google? How do you turn it on for Microsoft? Because we know that there are people out there looking for these resources. So if you can provide them just straight up to your employees, then obviously it'll be better. Yep, that's right. I'm going to cheat also and give you a second because like we're talking about email being uh, the keys to the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And like the, the accidental disclosure a lot. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of people miss out on uh, protecting the outbound of yes. email, right? And so thinking about data loss prevention and the relative ease of configuring common sense rules about scanning outbound email and seeing, mm-hmm. hey, does this have what looks to be a social security number in it mm-hmm. or something like that? And those are really easy to configure. Um, yes. And, and it really can help tamp down those accidental disclosures. Yes. And then it's having good outbound security for sure. And then on the inbound side, you need to have a robust inbound security so that you can block phishing attempts or other ways that then an employee can click on something and then data gets leaked that way as well. Definitely. Uh, what do you? What have been the most common upgrades or changes that you've seen among organizations seeking compliance over the last year? Uh, while that email security is obviously a big one, you know, both the review of malicious messages uh, as well as you know encrypted email and DLD, not just for you know companies that have to encrypt email or provide those types of controls for compliance reasons, but you know people are realizing that these are pragmatic controls um, mm-hmm. for uh, business protection, reputation management purposes too. Um, second, again, is the, the the MFA right? Like a lot more companies are getting really serious about access control. Mm-hmm. Um, and an MFA is a part of that going through some of the more 
difficult processes to organize uh, how role-based access needs to work in your organization uh, as rolling out as well as rolling out some some new requirements for that and, and getting the company to get used to hey I don't always have administrator access okay mm-hmm. what, what does that mean those types of things um, their, their culture changes and then I think last probably is all of the like you know the the organization seeking compliance I think, Sometimes it's a little bit different than an organization seeking a, a healthy security program of which yes. compliance is a portion of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that I see with companies who are really focused on the compliance piece, but maybe not enough on the security uh, program side is like the policy stuff, right? So mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, policies in the compliance world are, are wildly necessary. Uh, they're, they're necessary as part of a healthy security program. But earlier on for a lot of companies, I'd rather see more people focusing on building muscle memory and how to respond to an active incident, right? Mm-hmm. How to detect it, how to recover from it quickly. Cause you know, that the reality of it is it, it's a question of, of when and not if, and, yeah. uh, and great that you have the policies, but if you don't know how to respond to an incident and recover from it effectively, you know, policies don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to talk about ransomware for a minute because it's a very hot topic lately, but it's not a new concept. Uh, we both work in information security. So we see ransomware attacks all the time. But why do you think that ransomware has been so prevalent in the news lately? I think it's emotional. It's it's the human element of it all, right? Like the, the shock factor of it. I think you don't think it'll happen to you, uh, <laughs> but but when it does, uh, that's going to blow up your your whole day, your whole week, possibly longer, your whole, longer than your that. Whole I mean, yeah. <laughs> Kaseo was breached a long time ago, and we're still talking about it at Powbox. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so for you know, I think about that like you know that first person who got it on that endpoint, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the shock factor of all that, the personal stories that the employees inside those companies go through. And obviously that bubbles up to the organization uh, having to respond to that. But I really think it's that like the emotion and shock factor of, you know, the, oh crap, uh, this happened. What do I do now? And again, it kind of comes back to a lot of companies don't have that incident response muscle memory to, to really know how to do that well. And then I think like, you know, you pair that with the fact that you know, a lot of these ransomware um, malicious actors are targeting places like hospitals and it makes mm-hmm. for a pretty like juicy human story. <laughs> yes, it does. What kind of qualities or I guess open doors do you think criminals look for when trying to just deploy a successful ransomware or any kind of malware attack? thing that I wish a lot of companies would remove from you know, their about pages or contact uh, sections or whatnot is just email address listings for employees. Mm-hmm, I agree. So if you make it easy for attackers to find email addresses, they're going to fish you. They're going to try to get you to download weird stuff. Just, yes. You know, um, exposure is uh, is a big thing out there, information exposure. Especially because um, cyber criminals are already lurking on people's LinkedIn to use social engineering to yeah. get you to click on things. So you, you're right. I didn't would never even have thought about all of those people who put their employee emails just opening you up for an attack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think after that, it's like it's the it's the more technical but easily scanned for stuff. Like these attackers have a lot of tools that mm-hmm. can go out there and spider for easy victims. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. so you know open ports, uh, easily enumerated known vulnerabilities and software packages or, or infrastructure that companies use, open S3 buckets, mm-hmm. um, unauthenticated email, right? If you don't have SPF or DKIM on your email, uh, they know it's going to be easier to, to spoof your organization. So all these things are, are super easily scanned for. I know that we scan for them for our clients in the background as part of our service. 
and attackers have the same types of tools that you know us defenders have. Mm-hmm. You have to know what your attack surface is because I can guarantee you that cyber criminals do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some practical or universal ways that uh, an organization can approach risk in the workplace, other than uh, thinking that they're always going to be you're going to be breached no matter what? It's a when, not an if. Yeah, I mean, risk is everywhere in every organization. I have to first come to that human element, right? Train employees early and often. Um, you have to build that security culture early. And if you're a larger organization, you know it takes longer to kind of permeate the uh, the work base as well. And as part of that, you have to think more uh, strategically about how you uh, message security, mm-hmm. right? So security uh, being treated as a benefit, as a personal resource. You know, giving um, uh, giving your employees, uh, you know, uh, antivirus that they can install on their personal computers, sponsored by the uh, by the company, ensuring mm-hmm. that they have a resource to have malicious looking email that made it through the filter reviewed, uh, whether it's um, sent to their personal email address or work email address. Mm-hmm. Um, having a, a, a scan that they can do on their personal network to show them if they have open ports or not. You know, especially with remote workers. You've got to you've got to treat it like something that they're going to benefit from, and not as is not just another to do from some unknown department or person, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. How do you apply these concepts to your personal risk assessment, your personal cybersecurity? Uh, well, it's a, it's a different model, of course, but you know, on the awareness side, you you've got to know what types of attacks are occurring because you got to know what your attacker looks like, right, mm-hmm. and what types of tactics or protocols or uh, content and messages and channels they're using, and which ones are accelerating, and how they how they might occur, uh, so that you can spot them. And you know, just that knowledge, that ounce of knowledge, is a huge, uh, huge, uh, huge defense in of its own. And then I think as well, uh, the practice angle, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and I don't mean like, all right, you've got to set up a whole <laughs> sock for yourself, you know, in your basement, and all that kind of thing. But but like, ask yourself some questions, right? Do you have a plan if someone successfully fishes you, right? Mm-hmm. Or or impersonates your email address and sends a message to your coworkers or, or family appearing to be you. Like what would you do? Right. What's your mm-hmm. what's your run book? Cry probably. <laughs> yeah. Well that's that's, that's probably most people's plan. That's first. Well what happens next? <laughs> um, okay. So risk is everywhere in healthcare. A lot of it comes from the technology we use. So many organizations are still using fax machines, which are extremely outdated. Uh, But I think that ease of use is extremely critical for technology used in healthcare because there are so many different levels of tech savviness within the industry between employees and patients and providers. How does your organization approach the ease of use when working with your customers? So HabitShield specifically, we design our product a bit like how TurboTax made tax prep uh, Mm -hmm. more easy, right? We took that like ocean of complicated uh you know form fills and see this line add that line if this then that types of stuff and Mm -hmm. we turned it into you know something that feels like TurboTax, right a step-by-step plan that non-experts can can follow and to do that there's some component pieces uh or some some rules that i guess we obey from a user experience point of view one is uh plain language right Mm -hmm. like the security industry um and compliance requirements are just filled with uh, Latin, right? And like yes. I don't, I don't read Latin, and most people don't. And uh, and there's just a there's just a ton of jargon. And so we spend a lot of time, maybe not on like you know the the the, the layout and uh, color and 
flow of something in the in the application. Of course, we work on that too, but we actually spend a lot more time on content. You mm-hmm. know, what are we saying here? And how do we make that simpler without risking a, a lack of understanding? And then I think another piece is like uh, uh, security products are notorious for being overly configurable. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, and that's great uh, in a lot of cases when you need them. But most organizations need a like something that that maps to best practices and mm-hmm. that meets their compliance requirements. Um, and you've got a few options, right? So if you think about um, mobile device management, what types of controls are you requiring people uh, to to have on their mobile device in order to access your organization's data? And giving that user, that decision maker, that security decision maker, um, the most important options. But it's okay to take a lot of the uh, mundane, highly customized configuration there under, mm-hmm. and and you know configure it appropriately. But but you can hide a lot of that behind the scenes. And so that's what we do is we we bake our opinion, our expertise about how to configure a lot of these things, roll them out, run these processes into the fewer common sense, plain language options that we do show our users. And I think that that helps people actually take action rather than just get swamped in. Oh, definitely. You're taking things and putting them in a, a layman's terms. You're taking SAT words and picking a synonym that everyone can understand. What other factors do you think are essential for organizations to consider when vetting technologies? So I think vetting any type of technology, even outside of security, but especially for security, number one is uh, implementation difficulty. Right? Mm-hmm. But how, how difficult it is it to actually get it done and, and inside your organization and talking to your other technologies? Um, if it's going to take an overarchingly, you know, an overarchingly large campaign to implement, uh, then it's likely that it's going to get pushed to the back for other things that come down to the roadmap. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, can you get at least your first phase of the thing implemented, you know, in a smaller time box that's appropriate for your organization? Next is like cost, obviously, right? Like, can you, can you afford it? Does it make sense financially? Um, and, the evaluation there, the math there can be what's the risk it's solving for, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the likelihood of that risk? And if that happens, uh, what's the cost of that? And, you know, you can do the math there. And then uh, who's going to maintain it, right? So you great, you got it implemented. Maybe you had that vendor uh, from a professional services point of view implement it. But now how easy is it for you next month or next year to maintain the thing? Mm-hmm. It comes back to that ease of use. How much is your vendor doing for you? Question, because it might just sit there and actually not protect you yes. uh, because you haven't appropriately actually maintained it. And then lastly, the big one we see and a big reason why we started to Havoc Shield is uh, the question of, does that solution actually meet your priorities of your security program and your threat model? Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of point solutions that represent themselves as just, yes, this is the next thing you should do. It applies to you no matter what. Uh, and the reality is uh, the security industry is um, is guilty of doing that in a lot of cases, no matter what the priorities or threat model of an organization is. And so mm-hmm. we'd, we'd say evaluate what your model needs, where your uh, functional strengths are in that program, what your compliance requirements are, and then prioritize the different solutions that you need to evaluate, look at, and implement. And then start from that list and don't don't pay so much attention to the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that some some vendors might give you to try yes. to, to, to buy the product. Yes, I agree. And I think uh, going back to talking about like the price and justifying the ROI, for me, I 
always talk about how much an average HIPAA violation or HIPAA breaches. It's it's like a million dollars. Can your company afford mm-hmm. that plus a reputation? So you're right. You need to really vet your technologies and see how it works for you and if it's actually compatible for you and your employees. Yep. Uh, Brian, do you have any last minute comments, question, tips about cybersecurity for our listeners? MFA on everything. <laughs> uh, and since we're all at home right now, Log into your router, check if your firmware is updated, make sure that you're protected with reasonable antivirus, anti-malware. Um, if you're not, reach out to your company and say, how, how can you help me here? There is a lot more organizational data going through personal networks and personal devices now than there ever have before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's in your company's best interest to help employees at home uh, or in a WeWork or wherever they might be, keep your data secure because whether you like it or not, probably some of it's on that home computer. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks a ton, Anna. Head to palbox.com slash blog for all the cybersecurity and HIPAA compliance tips you need. Are you registered to attend our next free Zoom social mixer? Join us on October 28th and we'll send you a complimentary beverage to your door that day. During this event, you'll be able to ask questions about anything InfoSec related while you network with others in the industry. Please email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H at palbox.com to register and to submit any topics. As always, you can listen to every episode of Hypocritical on palbox.com or subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hypocritical. I'm your host, Hannah Trum, signing off.